You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. You came along and everything started to hum. Well, folks, Wink Martindale has hosted an impressive array of shows, including Tic Tac Doe, Trophy Pursuit, Can You Top This, Gambit, High Rollers, and Debt. He also produced the syndicated Headline Chasers, Headline Chasers, in association with Merv Griffin and King World. He and his late partner, Bill Hillier, were the first to produce real-time interactive game shows for the Family Channel. In June of 2006, Wink was honored with his star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and it can be found between those of Suzanne Summers and Tom Hanks on Hollywood Boulevard. So, folks, joining us live on the Drew Marshall Show, we've got sirens going on in the studio and beeping and all sorts of crazy things in the background, which is a tad distracting, but we shan't worry about it. The one and only Wink Martindale. Uh, Wink, i, I got to say, Tony Bennett is also... Uh, very near and dear to my musical heart as well. You're a big fan of his, correct? Yeah, I'm a big fan of his, no doubt about it. I remember so well, the first time I ever met him, Drew, when I had my own hit deck of cards and got to do it on the Ed Sullivan Show in uh, the fall of 1959, uh, after I did it on the Sullivan Show on a Sunday night, the next day, uh, as you might imagine, we run around to radio stations promoting the recording of Deck of Cards. And uh, we walked into WINS in New York to the record library to say hello to the record librarian, and there was Tony Bennett standing there. Oh, my goodness. And I had played his records, you know, from uh, Because of You to Cold, Cold Heart right on down the line from the time I was 17 years old and in radio for the first time in Jackson, Tennessee. And all of a sudden, I'm standing in the room with this icon in popular music, Tony Bennett. And instead of me uh, walking over to say hello to him... He made his way to me before I could do so, and he stuck out his hand. He said, Wink, I saw you on the Sullivan Show last night. You were terrific. Very classy move. (laughs) Classy move. And I I thought, wow, what is wrong with this picture? Tony Bennett is saying to me, I'm glad to meet you. Well, have you and Tony crossed paths very often these days? Well, not lately, but uh, I would say that I've run into him maybe three or four times over the past ten years, especially when I was working for Gene Autry for 12 years at KMPC in Los Angeles. And we played, you know, nothing but good music. I classified good music as that of Tony Bennett, Sinatra, Ella, and so forth. Of course. And he would come by the station from time to time and uh, just got to say hello that way. But, you know, to see him on a regular basis, no. All right. You need to tell us about life for Winston Conrad Martindale back in Jackson, Tennessee. The son of a lumber inspector, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We were uh, uh, very, uh, we lived in, in a very small home. There were five of us kids. And my dad was a lumber inspector for Wood Mosaic Company. He would inspect lumber, and they would take those uh, those planks of lumber after they were inspected, put them on uh, railroad cars, and they would go to various buyers around the country. And uh, we didn't have a, a large means in terms of uh, physical uh, things when we were growing up, but we didn't know uh, how uh, unavailable they were to us because we didn't have them. So we, we just knew what we had. So we certainly didn't think of ourselves as being poor. But uh, I was brought up in a home, as I said, with uh, four siblings, and uh, we uh, were brought up in a a Christian church. My mother and and father were both strong believers. We were Methodists, Lambeth Memorial Methodist Church on Campbell Street in Jackson, Tennessee. And we went to church on Sunday morning, and we went to church on Sunday night, and we went to Wednesday uh, Wednesday evening prayer service. And then when school was out, when we were kids, uh, we automatically, we just, we just moved from, from uh, grammar school right into vacation Bible school at Lambeth <laughs> Memorial Methodist Church. So I was raised in a Christian home, 
and uh, never knew uh, anything else, and, and, and still a very strong believer to this day, because I think, uh, in my humble opinion, it all comes from God, and, you know, we, I, try, I try my best to uh, give back as much as I can, because uh, he has made so much available to me that uh, is beyond my fondest, or was beyond my fondest expectations when I was growing up, and just looking forward to being a small part of this business. Okay, back to, back to the younger days, which uh, was just a couple of years ago. Can you explain to me what exactly is a soda jerk? <laughs> you never heard of a soda jerk? No, sir. Well, I worked at Baker's Drugstore, one of the first jobs I had. My first two jobs that actually paid me a, a wage when I was a kid was uh, carrying a paper out for the Jackson Sun in Jackson, our local paper, in the afternoon, and uh, as a soda jerk at Baker's Drugstore. And a soda jerk simply is... Uh, as it might sound, you, you work behind the counter, and you are the one who, uh, when somebody walks in and wants a, a cone of ice cream or a, or a chocolate milkshake or a, or a vanilla soda or whatever, you're the one who puts that together and, and, and mixes all of that, oh. does that, and you are a quote-unquote soda jerk. Wink, you would have been my best friend back in the day then. Listen, sometimes I was just called jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have that in common. Uh, what were you planning on doing with that Kappa Sigma Bachelor of Sciences degree you received from Memphis State? Well, I tell you, when I, uh, when, I, when I got out of high school at the age of 17, I did go to Lambeth College, which is now Lambeth University in Jackson, but only two quarters. Because after I had been in radio for a couple of months, I thought, what do I need with a college education for Pete's sakes? I don't need that. I'm going to be a quote-unquote star. That's what I are. <laughs> <laughs> so I just dropped out. But when I later, a couple of years later, went to Memphis and worked for RKO and WHBQ Radio and Television, got into television uh, in Memphis, uh, fortunately, my father-in-law and my manager of the radio station uh, came to me. I had a meeting, and they said with me in, in his office one day, he said, why don't you... Uh, think seriously about going back to college and getting your degree. And so they talked me into it, and I've been, uh, I've been so happy that I did it uh, back then, Drew, because even though I was married by then and also had uh, already had two children, uh, I uh, enrolled at Memphis State College, which is now at the University of Memphis, and uh, went on to get my bachelor, as you said, in, uh, in a Bachelor of Science in Speech and Drama with a minor in Journalism and English. And uh, you know, you never know how much your education is going to help you, but every little thing you learn along the way, you've got to feel is going to help you. I, I tell young people to this day when uh, they ask me uh, you know, the prerequisites for being in my business, the first thing I say is, if at all possible, uh, finish your high school education, and if possible, go on and get your high your uh, college degree, because uh, that in today's uh, business, it's almost a necessity. Hmm. Yeah, I read somewhere in the in the archives that your mom wanted you to be a preacher. Is that true? Yeah, she did. She, I remember so well her saying to me, we were over dinner one night, and I was still living at home with my parents in Jackson, Tennessee, and I remember she brought up this, she broached the subject right after I'd gotten into radio. And she said, son, with your voice and, and, and with your capabilities, uh, which, of course, she thought I had. I didn't know I had them. But she said, you know, have you ever thought about uh, the ministry? And I... I, I knew enough to tell her then, I said, Mom, you have to be called to the ministry. You don't just one day wake up and say, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a minister of the gospel. Well, unfortunately, some people do make that choice. They just decide <laughs> instead of true. being called. We know that to be true. Yeah. Right? 
I, th- I would have thought it would have been because of your hair. I mean, you have perfect preacher hair. <laughs> perfect preacher's hair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Drew. I appreciate that. <laughs> but instead of, instead of becoming a preacher, you joined the Mars Patrol. Yeah, my first television show in Memphis was given to me by the general manager of WHBQ-TV when I was, uh, I'd been working doing the morning radio show there for about a year. And Channel 13, WHBQ-TV, went on the air, and they came to me and said, Wink, we have a we have a program in mind for you if you'd like to do it. And I said, what, a radio? No, no, a television show. And I thought, oh, my gosh, have I died and gone to heaven already? I just wanted to be in radio, and here I was going to be on television. They had a show called Wink Martindale of the Mars Patrol. And uh, I guess today, in that day, it would be what you might think of today as uh, an old version of Star Trek. Uh, each day I uh, interviewed five little uh, Mars guards, little kids six to eight years old. We drank our Bosco and milk, and then we leaned back in our uh, airplane seats and presumably took off with all of these sound effects and, and, and wild sounds of, of space and, and, you know, bells and buzzers, and we blasted off into space to, uh, uh, to visit Emperor Ming on the uh, planet of Mongo. He gave us a lot of trouble wow. in those days. They were the old Flash Gordon Oh. Uh, the Saturday afternoon B-movies that used to run as serials between the major attractions. Right. And they leased those, uh, and uh, the show was an incredible success. The kids loved it, caught on, did, uh, did it for two years. It was number one in the ratings from 5 to 5.30 every afternoon, and uh, it was just one of, those, uh, one of those things. I had my epaulets on the shoulders and that lightning bolt across my turtleneck sweater, and I was uh, I was sort of the modern-day version of Flash Gordon for Memphis. Wow. And I did that for two years, and then I went on uh, to another television show, which always, also was a success for me when everybody, when every city had its own Dick Clark. I was sort of the Dick Clark of Memphis with a show called The Top Ten Dance Party. Right. And we did that every Saturday for an hour and a half, uh, and... Um, that was a success, and I did that for uh, almost almost five years. Well, we I think we've dug out a clip here from the archives. I, I want you to flash back to June 16th, 1956. Have a listen to this. We'll see if the audio quality will get through. How about the big uh, show at Rustwood Park scheduled for July 4th? Bob Johnson surely, I know, wants us to mention that, and we want to mention it. I believe the proceeds from this show go to the Cynthia Milk Fund. Is that right, Elvis? Yes, sir, that's right. And uh, uh, I'd like to say uh, the word that... Uh, uh, I'd like to say that we have a, a diamond ring that we're going to uh, have as a door prize. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's my initial ring. I've had it for some time, and it has 14 diamonds in it. And uh, we're going to give it away at the door as a door prize. I see. And uh, everything. And all the, all the proceeds from this particular show, this is July 4th at Rustwood Park. Elvis is going to be there. He's going to sing and play. His band will be there. Many other stars will be there, too. And we will certainly want you to watch Bob Johnson's column in the Memphis Press Cemetery, watch all the publicity on it, and get your tickets in advance. Elvis Presley, I want to thank you again, because thank we know you're a busy man, and thanks a lot for coming by and seeing us at the dance party and saying hello to all your friends here in Memphis and the Mid-South. And anytime you're in town and want to come by, we certainly will welcome you. Well, thank you very much, Wink, and I'll see you again. Okay, thanks a lot. Elvis. All right. Well, I, I was hoping he would have said thank you, thank you very much, but he just said thank you very much. So uh... I think he started that later. Okay. Well, how old were you in that clip? Oh, gosh, let's see. I must have been, uh, let's see, I must have been about uh, 20 or 21 years old. Uh, it was uh, the summer of 1956. I had met Elvis at WHBQ Radio one night in uh, 
the summer of 1954, two years earlier, happened to be there that night when Sam Phillips, who founded Sun Records, walked in with Elvis's uh, first recording of That's All Right Mama. Wow. And I uh, met Elvis that night, and uh, he remained a friend till the uh, day he died. Well, the voice, you, I mean, you had such a, you still, you have one of the most resonating voices it was incredible. I mean, and you were you were in your early twenties. You look like Matt Damon in that clip, by the way. And <laughs> well, here's that's not, that's you, not, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it's it's not bad, is it, Drew? Well, it's not bad at all. Elvis spent the entire interview leaning against a jukebox. His hair kind of flopped down over his forehead, and uh, uh, boy, I you know I just cannot believe that for that long. I, I guess everyone brings up Elvis in, with interviews with you. Yeah, isn't you know it? that interview was I'm told was the first filmed interview that he ever did. In 1956. Really? And uh, <clears throat> I always did my interviews in front of the jukebox. And we didn't have videotape at WHBQ in those days. And somebody just, a friend, happened to suggest, why don't you bring in a photographer and uh, film this interview? So I, out of my own pocket, we didn't have any budget for it. I just paid this guy named Bob Zimmerman, a good friend of mine, a photographer, professional, to come in. He set up his camera a few feet away in front of the jukebox and filmed that interview. And I still have it in pieces to this day. Unfortunately, I didn't keep the master, and I loaned it out to a lot of people, so it's in bits and pieces now. But the audio part I still have uh, fully. It ran about 25 minutes, and uh, I had all my questions on cue cards because, you know, that was a big deal. Sure. I mean, we had so many people come to the TV state. You would have thought it was a weekday uh, work day because all the salespeople, all, everybody came to the radio sta- uh, television station that Saturday afternoon. We had security out front with police and and we had uh, a traffic jam out front because everybody wanted to see this this unbelievable king, new king new crowned king of rock and roll. And well, it was it was quite a day. The rest of the story here, and folks were chatting with Wink Martindale. Uh, ironically, your wife Sandy had dated Elvis for about six years. Yeah, she had met him when she was fourteen years old. Her father was in the nightclub business in Los Angeles, and long before I met uh, Sandy, we we've been married now for thirty four years, but. Uh, Back when she was very young, she met him, and and her mother, uh, Elvis, used to come to her father's uh, nightclub, hmm. and uh, he would, uh, her father would put him, uh, he and his his guys, his Memphis Mafia, so to speak, <laughs> up on the mezzanine floor, so nobody would bother him. So he he loved to watch the kids dance, and so this way he could sit up there and watch what was going on, and her father at this same club gave uh, gave uh, Sonny and Cher their start and Glenn Campbell and Johnny Rivers and a lot of singers like that all performed for him at this club. So Elvis loved to see these other performers perform. But Elvis was 24 and and Sandy was 14? Yeah, but she and finally he he asked uh, her mother if uh, she could uh, if he could take her out. And uh, her mother, <clears throat> she dated him a few times, but her mother went always went on the date with him. <laughs> <laughs> she she told Sandy, Sandy's told me many times, she said, I don't care if he's King Farouk, you're not dating my daughter unless I'm there. <laughs> but Sandy has always told me, and I believe her, because she's a, she's a believer too, and she does, she, she's not one bent on lying, that uh, he was the nicest gentleman that uh, she had ever dated in her entire lifetime. Wow. That's uh, that's quite a quote. Here, here's something I read. Uh, he called me to go out, but I had to tell him I had school the next day. The next night, Mom drove me to the club to meet him. Elvis had a date with a gorgeous actress that night, and there I was, my little ponytail. He was 24. He held my hand, kissed me on the cheek, and I was a goner. <laughs> that's right. When she first met him, or when, when uh, her dad, when Sandy's dad first said, Elvis would like to meet you, she said, Elvis, what a funny name. Elvis what? <laughs> she didn't really... 
she she had heard of him, but she didn't really know that his real name was Elvis Presley. Well, they were an item on and off for, I think, about six years, right up until he married Priscilla. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. Man. And and uh, apparently she has danced in a number of his movies because yeah. she was dating him, of course. Uh, was that her in Viva Las Vegas alongside yes. of Anne Margaret and Elvis? That's correct, yeah. Dancing at the roulette table. You have you have to look fast because you, you'll miss her, but that's her. Wow. In Viva Las Vegas right there by the, by the table, yeah. How how did Sandy react um, when Elvis was, you know, obviously going downhill? Well... Uh, obviously, we we both reacted the same way because we had known him and loved him for for so many years. Yeah, and uh, we were both there, you know, pretty much in the beginning of his career. And uh, the last time we uh, we saw Elvis uh, was in uh, 1976. He died in 77. We went to see him in Las Vegas at the Hilt, at the uh, International Hotel, which is now the Hilton. And uh, he knew we were in the audience, and he called us backstage. He wanted to see both of us. And uh, we went backstage, went into his dressing room. The dressing room was packed with people. He was going with a girl then named Ginger Alden. And uh, everybody, all of his people were in there, but everybody, he just wanted to talk to the two of us. I remember he was standing behind the bar, and he called us over. And it, you, <coughs> excuse me, it got quiet as a mouse in that room. You could hear a pin drop. Because everybody wanted to hear what we were talking about with Elvis. Oh, wow. And it so happens that he had seen us that day on a show called Tattletales with Bert Conby on CBS, where, you know, how much do you know about your spouse? And right. we won the game that day. And he <laughs> thought it was amazing how much the, the fact that we knew so much about each other. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> then he, uh, he said something to me that we later uh, kind of laughed about because he said, Wink, I just want you to know how proud I am of you and, and what you've accomplished in the business since we first met back in 1954 and i thought later what's wrong with this picture it's kind of like that tony bennett story at, 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 at yeah. uh, in new york you yeah. know elvis presley is telling me congratulations on my success unbelievable <laughs> unbelievable but uh we we uh we talked to him for a few minutes he was bloated then he didn't look good but we, I remember we left that uh, dressing room that night. We got back to our hotel. We closed the door, and both of us just broke down and cried. Hmm. Because I said to Sandy when we left <clears throat> his dressing room, I said, that'll be the last time we ever see him alive, and it was. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable story. Folks, uh, Wink Martindale on the phone with us. Uh, well, speaking of Vegas uh, and seeing Elvis and playing cards a few years later, uh, this song actually became a huge hit for you. During the North African campaign, a bunch of soldier boys had been on a long hike, and they arrived in a little town called Casino. The next morning, being Sunday, several of the boys went to church. A sergeant commanded the boys in church, and after the chaplain had read the prayer, the text was taken up next. Those of the boys who had a prayer book took them out, but this one boy had only a deck of cards, and so he spread them out. The sergeant saw the cards and said, Soldier, put away those cards. After the services were over, the soldier was taken prisoner and brought before the provost marshal. The marshal said, Sergeant, why have you brought this man here? For playing cards in church, sir. And what have you to say for yourself, son? Much, sir, replied the soldier. The marshal said, 
I hope so. For if not, I shall punish you more than any man was ever punished. Wow, and of course, uh, quite a, an impact that song had. It's been covered by many people. You know, you went from 1956 hosting the Top Ten Dance Party Show, and a few years later, this song becomes a huge, huge hit for you, Wink. Yeah, it was uh, just it was a very few months. I came out here in March of, to L.A. in March of 1959. We recorded that that summer for, for Dot Records. I had a recording contract with them. And Randy Wood, who founded the company, uh, remembered that this was a big hit right after the war, 1946, by a country singer who got uh, credit for writing it, uh, T. Texas Tyler. And he remembered selling that uh, that old 78 RPM record called Deck of Cards back in Gallatin, Tennessee, at his uh, Randy's record shop. And when he went into the record business, started his own company, Dot Records, and he wanted something for me to record, uh, I guess because I was uh, uh, sounded like a, I could be a narrator with a radio voice and so forth. Sure. Uh, he uh, called me into his office, and we listened to that, and uh, I thought, well, to myself, I said, wow, who's going to buy? This is, you know, number one was Stagger Lee by Lloyd Price, and there was Mac the Knife by Bobby Darren, and, <laughs> yeah. and Venus by Frankie Avalon, and kids are buying records, and I thought, what kids are going to buy a semi-religious talking record? <laughs> but sure enough, uh, Drew, we put it out on Dot, and uh, you know, by uh, September... A station in Boston, Bob Clayton, played it on his radio show one morning, number one show, and the, 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 the phones lit up, and it just spread across country. The first, the day, uh, the day he played it, uh, the next day they ordered ten thousand records in Boston, which was huge at that time. Sure, and it just spread across the country like wildfire. I got to do it on the Ed Sullivan Show by November of that year. It went as high as number four on Billboard and Cashbox magazines sales charts, and. It's a it's a recording. It's a it's a it's part of my career that's followed me my entire life. I have to this day. I still have people. Are you the same Wink Martindale who recorded <laughs> deck of cards? And my answer is always the same, Drew. How many people do you think are walking this earth with a silly name like Wink? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who recorded a song like Deck of Cards? Well, now well, let's talk about this. I know every interview they bring it up, so let's do it here and get it out of the way. Wink is sure. a nickname you got from a buddy you grew up with, right? Yeah, that's right. Jimmy McCord, who I used to play with, we were seven or eight years old. He lived across the street from us there in Jackson, Tennessee, and we used to play together. And he had a little speech impediment, and when he tried to say my real name, Winston, uh, it, it came out sounding something like Winky. <laughs> and uh, so I became, instead of Winston Martin, I became Winky Martindale in the neighborhood. And then uh, by uh, go in, no small coincidence, as I got into this business, we shortened Winky to Wink. And uh, I've had that my entire career, <clears throat> with the exception of one year when I did my first network game show called What's This Song on NBC. Yeah. And, you know, they, uh, you know, for you. For a fact that these executives get paid the big bucks for making the big decisions. And <laughs> Bob Aaron was head of daytime in New York at that time, and he thought that Wink was a little uh, juvenile sounding, so he said, why don't we make him win? We just knocked the K off. So for one year doing What's This Song, I was win, Martin. Oh, no, that's that was not, yeah, good, <laughs> nice move. Well, I guess it's better than Stink Fartendale. Who gave that's you right. that one? That's right, and I've been called worse. Who who, who nicknamed you Stink Fartendale? Who was the one, who teased you with that name? <laughs> I don't remember, but gonna, I know I've been called that and more. Well, I think, let's talk about the guys in your club. I mean, Chuck Woolery, I had a great chat with Chuck a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's really, this chain of, of circle, the chain of friends here, it started with Pat Boone, and then it went on to Chuck Woolery, and now I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit here. So, mm -hmm. so let's talk about Chuck. How would you, like, give me one word to describe Chuck Woolery? One word. Professional. Really? Total professional. And uh, another word would be uh, gentleman. Uh, just a wonderful human being mm. who has always been uh, 
uh, like myself, uh, to be honest with you, very uh, fortunate and has appreciated what uh, what the, uh, our, our maker has, has done for us, given us whatever talents we've had to, to be able to do what we have done in the business and make a, a decent buck doing it. And Chuck is just, uh, well, he's been a friend probably more years than he cares to remember. <laughs> but just a great guy and uh, still a friend to this day. And uh, for, unfortunately, I don't see him as much as I used to because I think now he's in Texas. He's always fishing, isn't he? Seriously. Oh, my gosh. He loves to fish. Yeah. He came up with a with an invention, a lure, that has made him a fortune. Well, he when he was on our show, he really opened up. He, he, and I discovered this guy has got a beautiful, warm heart. He opened up about losing his son. Mm-hmm. And, boy, what a story. I'll, I'll never forget that story. Yeah, that is. That's very, that is a heart-rending story. Uh, one word for Gene Rayburn best really gene rayburn uh as host of the match game was absolutely the best in that in that in that genre at that time he's pretty quick wasn't he I, at lunch yesterday i'm doing a new show which i'll tell you about a little later starting uh, next month uh, starting in march for game show network but yesterday i was talking to the producers of that show about gene rayburn his name came up and i'll tell you drew i think there are certain hosts who are indigenous to pre- particular shows that they've done. You think about Gene Rayburn, you think about Match Game. You think about Let's Make a Deal, not, obviously it's Monty Hall. Sure. Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, Wheel of Fortune, uh, Pat Sajak, which also could have been Chuck Woolery because he was the original host of that and gave it up. Hmm. I'm sure he told you that story. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, Gene Rayburn, it was, you know, a little his little double entendres with the people that he dealt with on, on, the, on the Match Game and and much like Peter Marshall later on Hollywood Squares, he got the most out of those people. And that's what you want. You want good, clean entertainment, uh, something that's uh, entertaining and compelling to make people want to come back the next day. And that show had such a good run. And uh, mainly it was because not only was the game good, but Gene brought so much to the table in making that game a success over the years. For some reason, every time I think of Gene Rayburn, I think of that long, skinny microphone with the little ball on the top. Isn't that true? And it, we think about that, and I was told yesterday, believe it's funny you bring that up, because I'm doing this show called Instant Recall, and they've gotten one of these uh, long uh, microphones like that for me to use on the... I've never used one. I've always wow. worn a, either a lapel mic sure. or had a... a, a, a a, a, a microphone in place on the podium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to be using one of those, so I'll have to uh, uh, re-engender in my mind just how Gene Rayburn handled that microphone. I remember he remember when he when he had something in his hands, he would put it under his arm. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. And that and that made it very convenient when he had to read something, a card or something. <laughs> Bob Eubanks. Bob Eubanks is a dear friend. I see him. I uh, just saw him at dinner about a week ago. Uh, again, uh, gentlemen. Every time I think of him, I think of endearing. Yeah, he is, and he's done such a... He's been so successful over the years, and we used to work at the same radio station, KRLA, when we were both getting started out here, and he used to follow me. He was, he did the all-night show, and I'd come in at 6 o'clock in the morning. This is why we're still such good friends, because we can still laugh about this. I relieved him at 6 o'clock in the morning to do the morning show. He had been there all night. Now, this was in Pasadena, California, Huntington Sheraton Hotel, and I swear, sometimes, I guess my alarm clock either didn't work or I forgot to set it. So many mornings, I would get there at 6.30, quarter to 7, 10, and he had been there for six hours all night long. And he put up with that more than once. But we're st- even after that, we still uh, were able to remain friends over the years. But uh, 
<laughs> well, he was I one. Guess of, if, I guess if I thought of one word, I should have said overslept. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> Bob's he was a great guy. He was a standout for me. I I had uh, I think probably the best time watching uh, the newlywed game. I mean, it's just classic, classic moments. And uh, of course, uh, we've we've got to mention a few others, and then I'll get off this list because really we could spend an hour talking about these people. There's so many classic, iconic game show folks. You are one of them, of course, Wink Martindale. Let's go to Bob Barker. One word. The best. I I may have said that a while ago, but but he's in a he's in a class by himself. Right. You know? uh, another uh, is uh, my all time uh, favorite game show host. Uh, Bob is one of them, but my the guy that I always put up there on a pedestal is uh, is uh, Bill. Uh, good gosh, I've, I've I've hit a. Isn't that amazing? Listen, I do that, and, and uh, you know... Is, is that I, a senior I, moment? No, I'm only 27, and it happens all the time. No, I'm not 27, but... But anyway, let me get back to Bob Barker. Yeah. Bob Barker is the consummate professional. Yes, okay. Always, always prepared, always goes in with, uh, you know, always... When it, no matter what show he was doing, and he did a lot of shows besides Price is Right, uh, and it always was prepared, and that always... I've always tried to do the same thing. When you when you go, and I'm working on this new show, and... and if there's anything that 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 I think about more than anything else in in tackling a new endeavor is when you go in there to do the first show, be prepared. When Bob Barker went in there to do every show every day, he knew those games backwards and forwards. Of course, he did it long enough. He sure. should know. He better, yeah. And I, but, I, but, I think it just it built up inside of him, the angst over so many years. I, I was so thrilled for to, just to watch him beat the living tar out of Happy Gilmore. That was classic. <laughs> you saw that. Oh, actually. my goodness. Uh, Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek is... Uh, Professorial. Excuse that me. Would be, he, he he is Professor Alex Trebek. I mean, who else could do uh, a better job on Jeopardy than Alex Trebek? Nobody. No. Because he is the perfect host for that show. It was perfect casting, and he got that job because Michael King of King World told me that uh, when they were right after they had started uh, Wheel of Fortune, and uh, Michael King and King World were the syndicators for Merv Griffin in those days. Uh, it was Michael's uh, mother, his late mother, who said to him, Michael, you've got to find a show for this guy named Alex Trebek. <laughs> and that's how they cast Alex in Jeopardy, thank, thanks to uh, Michael's mother suggesting him. Now, Pete, Pat Sajak, uh, of course, Wheel of Fortune. Didn't uh, Chuck Woolery do Wheel of Fortune originally? Yes, he did. He and uh, his uh, girl Friday, uh, the Vanna White, with Chuck Woolery was Susan Stafford. That's right. That's right. And they went in, and uh, as I understand it, and Chuck uh, laughs about this to this day. I think he laughs and cries at the same time. <laughs> but he went in, and they, I think they wanted more money. And Merv said, "You want more money? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye bye now." And uh, <laughs> so Pat Sajak ended up getting that, and here it is, thirty some odd years later, and he's still doing it. Unbelievable. Well, look, we're, we'll stop there because we could easily talk about Regis Philbin or Monty Hall or Peter Marshall, but I never heard of. Any of those people. No, no, nor have I. I don't know where we got those names from. I have to check with my research associate. Uh, I know you get asked all the time, Wink, uh, about which of the, you know, what is it, 327 shows you've hosted over the years, which one's your favorite, but I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that. I, I think it's, uh, how's your mother-in-law? <laughs> and you would be wrong. <laughs> yeah. hey, by the way, I did think of the guy that I, uh, before I forget it, the guy that I placed on the pedestal yes. above everybody else. Yes. The late Bill Cullen. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, what, he, a, what, now, a great, what a great host with a great sense of humor and just 
one of the best and and uh, was crippled the entire his entire career but uh, that didn't bother him what did get to get him was smoking three packs of camels unfiltered a day for oh my goodness 40 years. wow well does he not hold who holds the record for the hosting the most uh, game shows build us yeah 21. that's what i thought yeah and this this show that i'll start doing in march on game show network instant recall will be my 20th so oh. if i if i if i keep uh, i guess there's uh, go for there's, it there's life in the old boy yet yes sir they called me a week ago uh, this past, this coming Monday is the day they called and said, we want you to do this show. Excellent. I, I truly didn't expect to, uh, you know, to host another show, but I wasn't about to turn it down because it's a good show. Sure. And may you, get, then, may you get to 22. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> could happen. Who knows? Well, and of course, the 2006 star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow, what a moment. Yeah, that was one of those moments in time that I'll always remember because it's, uh, it's one of the great memories of my career. And it's another thing I never expected to get. I was on the treadmill one day <clears throat> here at home in our exercise room, and the telephone rang, and my wife Sandy said, it's, uh, it's Johnny Grant calling you. I said, what, Johnny Grant? Of course, I knew Johnny from my KMPC days because he and Gene Autry were very close friends. And he's the honorary mayor of Hollywood, and I knew he was in charge of the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame stars. So I get on the phone with him. He said, uh, Wink, I just want you to know that you have been uh, elected unanimously to receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And uh, thank God I was off of the treadmill at that point, because had I not been, I think I probably would have fallen off. But it was uh, it was uh, June 2nd, uh, 2006, wow. three years ago this year that uh, I got it. And it's, you know, obviously it's something that when you figure there are only 2,000-plus uh, uh, stars on the Walk of Fame and you think about all the people that are in this business, it's quite an honor. It is. I, uh, I'm not sure I deserve it, but my mother taught me something when I was a child. She says, if it's legal and honest, you take it. Good <laughs> good for you. So I'm going to keep it. Good for you. Look, I, I know Al Gore claims to have, in, have uh, invented the Internet, <laughs> uh, but we all know that it was actually Wink Martindale, wasn't it? I, I watched a video from 1967 that you were involved with. With It actually predicted how we would use computers today, online shopping, banking, email. You were the man that invented the Internet, weren't you, Wink? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> How come I don't have the money, Al Gore? Yeah. But anyway, um, that that was a that was a video that we did of, or a film we did for the Ford uh, Motor Company. I did that in 1969, and it was to show what life would be like in 1999. <laughs> and that that thing has you know I had completely forgot about it about two or three years ago. Uh, it started showing up. It showed up recently on uh, Good Morning America about a week ago. <laughs> and I guess it was because of the end of the year and they were reviewing things that you know happened in the past decade. I missed it, but two or three people told me about it. But they showed clips from that. And uh, that thing, again, like deck of cards, that has followed me ever since I did that in 1969. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty much, you know, ev- almost everything in there uh, is, has come true. Everything that we predicted would happen has happened. Um, it, it is an amazing. I mean, when you think about where we've come from, I mean, you, uh, you know, were born in, uh, in in the 30s, grew up in the 30s, and lived through the 40s and the 50s, and just to where we've come from to now, you must look back and go, what, what happened? Yeah, you know, I feel so uh, fortunate. Just take music for example. I grew up. Uh, I was born in 33, and uh, I lived through the tail end of the. I knew the tail end of the uh, big band era. And then in the 50s, I okay. uh, was there for the birth of rock and roll. And in the 60s, uh, there was Beatlemania after Presley Mania. 
And then in the 70s, we, you know, I, I was playing music with Gene Autry's KMPC for the disco era. Hmm. Not that I enjoyed that all that much. <laughs> I don't think anybody but, did. We don't want to but, willingly admit that anyway. Yeah, but, you know, it makes you wonder. It, 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 we've come so far in, in the past 50 years, 40 years especially, 30 years more specifically, but it makes you wonder where in the what's what's life going to be like yeah. in another ten years, for example, another twenty years. Hmm. It's amazing, you know, where we've come. Wink, if I was to walk around your home, I wonder what piece of memorabilia would I be the most impressed with? Mm, probably, I have, I have uh, many pictures on the wall, all framed uh, in brass, and some of it in uh, in oak. And they are pictures from my career. We have a lot of white walls, and so we have plenty of room for memorabilia. And so I decided to, rather than pack these things away in boxes, that we, we frame them. <laughs> and uh, of all the pictures on the wall that are framed, you probably would stop and, and take a look at the picture uh, or a series of pictures, a montage, actually, of the day that Elvis Presley appeared on Top Ten Dance Party with me in the summer of 1956, which we discussed earlier. Sure. There's a picture of Elvis and me and Dewey Phillips, who brought huh? him down that day and helped me talk him into coming to be on the show, although he was there to promote a uh, Cynthia Milk Fund uh, charitable uh, thing at, uh, in, in Memphis that summer. But uh, it's Dewey Phillips, who was the first disc jockey to ever play an Elvis Presley record on Red Hot and Blue at night on WHBQ Radio, and uh, myself and uh, Elvis as he's leaning there on the jukebox, and it showed to show you what time frame we were in in that period. The pictures behind me, in that uh, in that photograph, are the McGuire sisters, <laughs> and are you ready, Dinah Shore? <laughs> <laughs> now, now standing next to me is the man who's changing music for all time as we have known it. Yeah. And in the background is Dinah Shore. Unbelievable. But uh, that and uh, and several other pictures from that particular uh, day on Dance Party. I think you'd probably get a kick out of that. But Gosh, I've got so many pictures that, uh, and even I stop and occasionally look at them too because all of them bring back memories. Sure, I thought you might have brought up the Wink Martindale slot machine right beside the bar. Well, I have the yeah, I do have one of those slot machines, and uh, that was uh, for for the home. Yeah, it's no longer out there in uh, Vegas or in Mississippi uh, <laughs> because the company that the Micon company for for whom uh, I did that. Uh, they went out of the slot machine business and just went into uh, uh, table games. Hmm. But I have one in my home. You can't play it because that's illegal. But uh, <laughs> it's a nice, it, it makes a good conversation piece, Drew. Yeah, I can imagine it would. Well, this autobiography of yours, Winking at Life, how long has that been out for now? I did that in 2000. Okay, so if you... In 2000, it was self-published and uh, still available if anybody's interested uh, at Amazon.com. And I, I guess... Uh... You know, where does, where does the God stuff, you know, hindsight, you must look back over your life and see God's hand. Oh, absolutely. I think God has had a hand in my life, uh, well, certainly from the day I was born, but more specifically, uh, he told me uh, what I, he led me into the world of radio and television uh, from the time, uh, Drew, that I knew what a microphone was. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I give thanks every day for that, uh, because it's, it's led me into so many uh, arenas that I never thought I would visit, and I thank God every day for that. Uh, uh, so many young people, I was speaking to a high school group just three days ago, and uh, talking about uh, the world of uh, television and game shows, and uh, so many young people, especially 
uh, and, and older people, too, you know, adults, married and unmarried, get up every day and go to a job that they don't care for, hmm. that they don't really like, and they long to uh, do something else. I have a reality show that I'm uh, pitching to some of the networks now called Take This Job and Love It. And, <laughs> it's, and, it's, and it's all about people who, uh, who want to do something that they never get to do because they got sidetracked for whatever reason. And, that's, uh, a, that's a great concept. I love that one. But in answer to your question, I, uh, I thank God every day for, for, for leading me to, uh, down the path that, that took me into this business, which uh, has, has been good for me in so many ways, and I never lose sight of the fact uh, from whence it came. Good for you. I, you know what? I'm enamored with your passion and your humility. It's a great mix you have, Wink. Well, thank you. It really is. Folks, it comes from the heart, I can assure you. Well, it translates that way as well. You seem to have no airs about you, and everything I've heard about you, of course, you know, the stuff I've heard about you comes from Lubin, so, you know, I don't well, want to... Well, you got to filter that. Yeah, you do, yeah. <laughs> great, grain of salt, grain of salt. Uh, WinkMartindale.com is the website. Uh, lots on there for you to discover, and, of course, uh, the autobiography is still available, Winking at Life. I really do wish you the best. To me, it's obvious that God has had his hand on your life right from the get-go, and I, you must look back at your parents and be thankful uh, for all of the, the foundational building blocks they instilled in your life. Absolutely, Drew, uh, because uh, my mom and dad, fortunately, um, more my mom than my dad because he went before her, but uh, they both got to see the uh, fruits of uh, victory, so to speak, if I might use that analogy, uh, that I enjoyed uh, first in Jackson and then in Memphis, and then in Los Angeles. Hmm. And they've been gone a long time now, but uh, I'm so happy that they did get to see me uh, at least uh, get to a certain degree, enjoy a certain degree of success in the business before they passed on. Fantastic. Wink, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you, Drew. Believe me, it's my pleasure to do so. Thank you, Wink. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Wink Martindale on the Drew Marshall Show, iconic game show host. Tremendous stuff there. Well, a short break, and when we come back, a listener of the show came up to me one day and said, you know, I'd like to interview you. And since I love talking about myself, I said, sure, let's do it. That's what's up next. Stay with us. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.